Welcome to the Index Podcast, hosted by Alex Kahaya. Plug in as we explore new frontiers with Web3 and the decentralized future. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Index, a podcast where we interview the people building the next wave of the internet, Web3. Brought to you by The Graft. I'm your host, Alex Kahaya, and today we are speaking with Josh Rosenthal. Josh has a PhD in late medieval, early modern European history and received a Fulbright scholarship uh, to the Sorbonne Institute in Advanced Studies, which is a think tank uh, mixing culture, history, and technology. Uh, Josh is now a partner at Sixth Event Cataclysmic Capital, which supports early stage founders targeting cataclysmic impact. Um, he's also co-creator of the Longtail Building, a historic bourbon bar and horse racing dive, which we should definitely talk about. Um, uh, Josh, I'm super excited to have you on the show today, specifically because of how you tie history, uh, that like what's happened in the past to what's happening today and the re- kind of revolution that we're seeing in crypto. Yeah, just thanks so much for being here. No, thanks for having me. I, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I've been a uh... A huge fan of what you've done with White Rabbit and know, you know, Jake and Renil and love their podcasts and thought the interviews are excellent. So very excited to be here. Cool. So why don't you just start out with like, tell us about yourself, what's your background? How'd you get to do what you're doing today? And we can kind of go from there. Sure, sure. And there may be some ways to to tie some lines into what we're going to talk about. So background is, you know, PhD, Fulbright, and the, the Sorbonne has this this interdisciplinary think tank where you're sitting down and I'm doing history, sitting next to certain scientists doing, you know, quantum theory and anthropologists. And I was an archival historian, which literally meant I wore a very nice suit and had letters of introduction to super privileged, you know, documentary repositories. And I would go in and read manuscripts and early printed materials in different languages. Um, and so it was really one of a question of access. How would I get access to the sources? And then I tried to figure out how these communities organize. You know, how do they communicate? How do they create value? How do they cooperate? And I was really focused on this adoption and impact of decentralized tech. Um, you know, at the time, there was an advent of ledger-based financial technology and also this permissionless print protocol. So I finished the degree, founded a couple of companies uh, working in AI. I had written a bit of software, and then we we spun that in out, uh, sold one to an MIT spin-out, sold the other to a public company, and then we went on to, to do the next thing and uh, began doing a little bit of investing in venture capital. And we're based here in Louisville, Kentucky, down the street from Churchill Downs. And so, you know, we're, we're on the long tail of the distribution curve, and it became really apparent, you know, flyover country. You could try to play that game, but we were looking for a different game. And so crypto popped up. And for me, it was just like a recapitulation of what I had seen previously. And super specifically, like those particular ways that communities use decentralization to take down aggregated hierarchies, um, to craft out networks and paths and really forge their identity, how they viewed themselves in relationship to one another. I just saw it as a reiteration, as this like fundamental like reiteration around the ledger and art and identity and unlocking of access. Uh, I don't know if that's helpful or not. We can go into detail anywhere from there. Yeah, I would love to dive deeper. Like, start from the beginning in these in these like early like history texts that you were reading. I just want to like connect the dots to like that and today, right? Like, and you know, I've kind of gone back and forth on email about this stuff, um, but I think it's just super intriguing the connections you make, and I want to share that with those people who are listening here. So fundamentally, like the way I think about history, and it's just a model, it's not reality, but it's just an explanatory rubric. It's like this heuristic construct. So I'm not saying this is reality. I'm saying this is like us making macaroni and trying to explain the atom. But you can see history kind of tick and talk and the pendulum swing back and forth between power aggregating 
and power decentralizing. Um, and it happens kind of in cycles and maybe it, maybe it has a forward progress depending upon your school of thought. And so the period I thought we were most close to and what was fascinating about crypto was, you know, in the late Middle Ages, you know, that was a very different world than, than we're familiar with, right? Um, you know, land was value. It was hierarchical. Uh, your life was permissioned, what you could do, who you could talk to, literally, you know, what you could think, how you could communicate, how you could access or not access capital. And it, it was in a cosmic hierarchy with, uh, with religious and political figures at the top and then you at the very, very bottom. And, you know, as history tried to tick and talk, there were different renaissances and reformations previously, uh, you know, during 8th, 10th, 12th century. We don't talk about those because the one in the 14th and 15th and 16th century, it was a big one. It, it was so successful that when we say the word renaissance and reformation, like that's what we think of. We go back to that period. And, when you ask why did that succeed, it was primarily technological. Communities were able to organize with two types of technology. And it's not, it's not just like pure play technology adoption like S-curves with Kathy Wood and ARC and that kind of thing. It was a specific type of technology. It was a decentralized technology. And one was finance. Another was communication. And communication wasn't just communicating ideas, although that was part of it. It was communicating images and concepts and identity. And that acted as a new player on the scene, which fundamentally unwound these power hierarchies. So for them, if your world is totally permissioned, you don't have access to value, you can't communicate, how would you how would you communicate um, outside? You've never been more than five miles away from your farm, you know, you uh, 5% of the population reads, you don't have any capital, your capital is the animals that you have, and uh, you literally need to permission to leave where you are. And so those rights had been aggregated over time into these specific power hierarchies and that information was fundamentally protected in these these archives, right? Like they're literally a document costs like a year's salary or 10 years salary and it's slowly written by hand. And those documents sometimes share ideas and sometimes they share value. In the medieval world, there's no difference between sharing value and sharing information. And so you couldn't get access to them. So coming on the scene, you know, the Renaissance means this rebirth and it, they were communities were so successful and recreating their world and um, we call it their world reborn and they did it through finance and through this communication protocol and finance it was this crazy technology they rediscovered from you know back in the the roman era and there's some north african communities using it as well and it was called the ledger and like your audience may be familiar with this concept of the ledger but like at the time it was crazy previously you had to stop do a centralized accounting i mean i could make all sorts of big bank jokes about them not knowing how to reconcile or what have you but for for someone you know at the at the birth of the renaissance it was like magic right it was like when they discovered the zero for the first time, it was this, this mind bending concept and it allowed them to do credit and debit and keep finance rolling It increased speed and velocity and composability. And it basically gave people access fundamentally. So that, that provided the economic undergirding for an exchange of new ideas about who they were and how they organized, uh, you know, different from those hierarchies. And it also created access to capital that allowed people to do new things. And it fundamentally drove the printing press, which was this other big bucket, this communication protocol. And when we say printing press, everybody says, oh, it's like the internet today. Um, I don't think so. I think the printing press is literally like Web3 specifically. I don't think we've seen the internet yet. I think, uh, I think future historians will look back and, and, and see crypto subsuming not only finance, but communication. And so the printing press was crazy. I could share information at scale. 
And that was really, really wild. Like we think of, you know, the, the Gutenberg Bible or something like that, right? But the printing press was, it was primarily image based. The most popular stuff was giant images. And so they were these broadsheets, you know, a book didn't cost a year's salary or 10 years salary. It cost, you know, the price of a chicken. You could flip the thing open. It had a crazy image and it was a new type of art. They cut wood and they printed and inked it or they etched copper and they printed and inked that and they had these big taglines and it showed crazy profane images that were like supercharged they were laden with this like semiotic they they signified things beyond just themselves and they were world altering and no one could tamp that down it placed the authorities in a real conundrum in terms of do they participate or do they just ignore the spread of it and the ideas that they shared particularly with with Luther and others was that this hierarchy is illegitimate and so these communities formed up and self-organized and coordinated now that they had finance and now that they could communicate ideas. So that's a lot to throw at you. But if you if you think of our world as being, you know, at the same point where we're in a fundamental hierarchy with nation state and tech and fang and what have you, now we're starting to use these technologies, you know, crypto ledger based accounting systems and print protocol, which I, I maintain is not the Internet. It's actually going to be Web3. So let me just pause there because that's a, it's a lot of stuff to throw at you. It really is what we're seeing happening today. It's that same kind of like fundamental shift in communication and specifically the way people organize around something, right? Like a lot of times when I think of these networks, like they're almost like their own little country, right? And they're self-organizing and it's kind of amazing to watch. And I think it's sort of difficult to imagine if you haven't been embedded in it for a little while, like watching it actually take place. Um, and the, the reason I say they're like little countries is because they, they they have like billions, you know, $50 billion market caps, right? Like there's like real, you know, and, and then within there, they're like little tribes and like other projects and communities. And you probably like this. So I took a, a course on permaculture with my wife this weekend. Okay, great. And it also kind of like seems like that too, because like, you know, permaculture is like about is like this really holistic way of looking at farming and organizing, but it's not just like farming. It's, it's actually like organizing a life. Um, in a community, crypto kind of like these these economic incentives that are built into protocols are what govern and like sort of direct the what's manifesting in the community organization. And I had never like one of the reasons I got so excited about our conversation is like I never connected that to the Renaissance, right? Like that's kind of amazing when you look at when you think about it in that way. Like the scale is different, but the a lot of the things that are, the impact is like kind of fundamentally the same and. It's kind of like the next step where I always go with this thought process, like, where is this taking us? What is at the end of this renaissance? Is it a renaissance? I mean, like, that was one of the questions we had is like, is this a renaissance? I mean, what's, what are we living through? I, I don't even, it's like so hard to pull yourself out of and be like, what is happening, you know? The problem with history is that you're in it, right? And so you're not a disembodied, you know, observer. And so you're in the, you're in the flow and you're in the current and it's really, and it, it changes, you know, very quickly. And the way history tends to work from those in the middle of it, when you read back, you know, what did the, the people during the Renaissance think about what was going on at the time? They didn't perceive any difference. It was just kind of slow and slow and slow. And there were, there are groups of weird people doing things on the side, right? Like, but they didn't think too much of it until bam, when all of a sudden it changes. And like, in terms of it being different in scale of impact, 
you could read what I'm saying as just being tyranny, at, you know, prisoner of the moment and like tyranny of the urgent, but I don't think it's the case. I actually think this renaissance is going to be bigger than the last one, which sounds completely crazy. Like usually you hear this word renaissance, people talk about the NFT renaissance because there's a lot of art, now we can pay for it. That's true. That's great. That's awesome. Or they talk about, you know, kind of S-curve tack like in the 19th century with automobile and why, and that's true, fine. But like fundamentally changing the way you can pay people and incentivize them and changing the way that you can communicate ideas about who they are and what's worth valuing in a permissionless way that prevents that hierarchical, you know, hegemonic, that tamping it down. That's why the last Renaissance succeeded, because they had decentralized technology. And so we look back, and you and I, you haven't heard of these previous Renaissances or previous Reformations. You have no idea, because this la- the one in the 14th through 16th century was so big, it eclipsed it. I literally think that's what's going to happen, where future historians are going to look back, and when they say Renaissance, they're going to think now. They're not going to think of the 14th century. 14th century is going to dwindle into the 10th, 10th century. And part of it is... Part of it is something you said, like this idea of this idea of like nation, right? And it kind of takes you into the second part of your question. So in the Middle Ages, like you had a hierarchical, you had a hard fast, you know, cathedral was the image, not just in terms of architecture, but in terms of like cosmology, how they thought about their world top down uh, dictation. It'd be like iOS would be your operating system, right? And now it's bottom up. And so that what happened was the tech allowed the communities to organize. But so what? So what do you care? Well, if you can pay people and incentivize their behavior directly, not as products, but as co-owners and participants and, and leaders where they can craft the movement, and then you can communicate those ideas virally without a kill switch. And, and that's literally what I mean, right? Like we're not going to have another Arab Spring in the same sense that they know how to cut that cable, like Web3, Permaweb, Arweave, Graph, like that literally is, you know, when you're thinking about communicating you know, decentralized bits of information or bits of information that store value. It was always finance first and then information, then economics and then identity. And so this is kind of following a historical curve and a path. And these communities unwound that identity. Everybody thought of themselves as good Roman Catholics and citizens of the Holy Roman Empire. And then all of a sudden it split, it fractured, it fragmented, it exploded into all of these different groups all over the place. And you had a period as it swung back into chaos, right? There were definitely, most of my research was in wars of religion. And, you know, that sounds bad and it is, but there's very little military violence in a meaningful way. Like if you're a state and you have to turn violent to your own population, you've kind of already lost the game. Like we're much better now. Now at tools of statecraft to be able to to enforce hegemony. Like, I don't want my population revolting. I don't want them thinking about that. I actually want them identifying with me. I never want it to enter their head. And so that's what happened. Essentially, as things swung back, the powers that were co-opted the technology. They were placed in a, a trap, you know. If I'm these powers and I see Luther's accounting for like half the printed material and these crazy memes of like people pooping and, you know, clerical hats or demons giving these radical things that said you have no legitimacy, it was like these images and memes were vile, but they're so radical. It was like scatology or offensiveness is a is an intentional weapon. It's very similar to, you know, a saying money printer go burr saying like that fiat or petrodollar actually isn't legitimate. And we're going to say it in the most ridiculous way. So after that unwound, those powers actually co-opted that technology and they did so pretty effectively. You know, it was a couple hundred years. And as they co-opted it, you know, originally they said, do we want to pr- exchange in these polemical wars? Do we want to print back and forth? If we do so, we legitimize the competition. We're saying we're the only ones who have right to print. They tried to KYC people. The printers went off grid and they couldn't do it. So they dove in and they started printing and then they got good at it. And the way they got good at it was through this idea of 
of imagining a community. The battleground wasn't militarily, uh, it wasn't military, um, it wasn't martial during the wars of religion. It wasn't regulation, it wasn't political, it was for identity, which is like trumps everything. If I can control who I am, then I control how I, what I value paying for things and how I communicate. So once the, the medieval hierarchy dissolved, there's a period of chaos and then it reconstituted and the powers did so by introducing this crazy concept called the nation and the state and your tribe therein. Before before that, you know, out of the wars of religion, you have the first religious liberties, the Edict of Nantes. They grant you these religious liberties and you have multiple parties doing all sorts of things coexisting. And then as they start building the state, they revoke those. And that's, you know, we know about the pilgrims and the Puritans, but there's all sorts of stories. We don't talk about Huguenots going down to Brazil and what have you. Um, and so they introduced this concept. They said, hey, Alex, you don't know this. You thought you were just part of a family or a network or you lived in this region. But you're actually part of a nation. And he said, oh, hey, what's that? What's a nation? They said, no, no, a nation is fundamentally who you are. And you're not just part of a nation. Now they have you on board with this abstract idea. You're part of a specific nation. And now you're an Englishman, you're a Frenchman, you're a German, and you hate the other guys. And like that control was incredibly powerful. And this all sounds like psychobabble. I get it. It's esoteric. What's this guy blathering about? But they enforced it with contracts and they enforced it with finance and they enforced it with communication protocols. You could say certain words, not say other words, those had access to the protocol. And so if you take a step back, when you say, hey, it seems like crypto is a nation, I'd say damn right it is. And it's not just saying, hey, crypto nation, hashtag, literally, some of the political theorists talk about this in terms of imagined communities, right? Like Benedict Anderson. If everybody gets together and says, I have this idea, and I, I think we're in a community, you manifest it into reality, you make it real by wrapping economics around it, and by wrapping communication protocol around it, and then you seal it with identity. And so I think the nation state isn't just nervous about crypto because it, it's taking, you know, it's taking, you know, potential tax money or replacing even fiat or petrodollar. I think it's nervous because crypto is the next iteration of what a nation was. And like, that's going to be the fight for identity, you know, hegemonic tools of statecraft versus privacy and Web3. And, uh, and honestly, NFTs are loading dollars as well as identity, which is why they're a superpower. So let me just stop there. That was a lot to throw at you. But you said so many good things. One, two, three, four. I mean, it's like definitely ties together a lot of things that I've been thinking about lately. Like um, when you talk about permissionless, right, it's nations without any borders, which sounds like a cliche, but it's actually true. Like you can belong to whichever one you want and you can participate in their economy and in, and in their governance and in the sub governance of the other projects that are built on top of their ecosystem at will. And when I think about just from a straight business perspective, the market opportunity for building a business in this space, you can't think about it in normal terms because it's, it's permissionless. And because there are no real borders, the market opportunities are orders of magnitude larger, right? So if you think like finance has a $50 trillion a year, like market cap, market opportunity, it's actually maybe like 500 trillion or something, something crazy because, because of the access and because you can have multiple communities driving those ecosystems. So when you, when you look at like Ethereum, Solana, you know, a few of the other L1s that are kind of rising up, like the market opportunity they all have to address is so large that they're, they're they likely many will, several at least will exist long-term, if not many. And you know, the the potential for like multi-trillion dollar market caps is is for sure there, mainly because of access. There's like, what, 7 billion people on the planet and maybe like 1 billion have access to maybe less. Maybe it's more like 
500 million like normally have access to sort of tier one financial things, right? Don't even like look at the communication stuff. I've just been realizing sort of digesting the fact that like the market opportunity, the impact that is coming is just so much. That, back to your point, it's so much larger than anything I think any of us have actually seen. The best folks, whether they're institutional or retail, you know, when they get into the space, all of a sudden they, they become historians because as you get like the more macro you get, all of a sudden you get super macro and then you're historical at that point, right? And which is, which is crazy. And you, you always have to ask yourself, I mean, historians were taught never to compare things to the modern. Like I, I had my card rejected. And so now I just do practical things, right? Like, and I commit cardinal sins, unforgivable sins of predicting what'll happen, right? Like with basic scenarios, which you're, you're not supposed to do, but like, Crypto's making us all historians. We have to back up and say, when was the last time I saw transformative change? Okay, uh, you know, Chris Dixon can say, uh, you know, I saw it in the corporation and clatter indemnifying, and that's true. And Kathy Wood can say this and that. But like, I actually think if you go back, the Renaissance is our point of, is our point of, uh, is our point of comparison for two reasons, you said. One, like it breaks these economic models, right? Like medieval you can't imagine the person you are now, not just sovereign individual stuff, but they just, they literally can't. You look at the farmer next door and you say, wow, he can, he acquired a bunch of assets. He has 42 cows and I only have 24. Well, maybe one day he can get up to 124 cows. He can't imagine like a shopkeeper opening up next to him that's running magnitudes of order on a book, right? Like, his worldview of economic models is shattered by this technology. And so all your comparisons, they're right out, right? And so that's like part of it. And then part of it is also, uh, it's this fundamental, re it's generative too, right? Like that's like the medieval farmers, if you ask them when they're talking about their world, like how much money did they think they were in the world, they'd tally it up or how much could there be, right? Well, if you have this much land and it produces this much stuff, then you, it's like very like arithmetic. What happened with ledger-based tech was it was generative, he couldn't imagine a shopkeeper or trade or doing a future or doing credit or doing like, or for him, the asset was the real thing. I have to haul my cow down and maybe I get a coin. You couldn't trade that for like, you know, a piece of paper and like maybe it had a right to land, but that was locked away and I didn't have access to it to be able to see that. Um, so, so like one, it broke all the old economic models in ways they couldn't conceive of at the time. Two, it was generative. It unleashed this proto mercantile, proto capitalistic class. Like it created a, a middle class in a way that we hadn't seen. He couldn't have imagined that. And then just like we have difficult imagining what will be, but we have some hints. Like one other thing you said was like better aligning these economic incentives. And so decentralization isn't just privacy pro and and, uh, you know, resilient or anti-fragile, it actually allows you to create that generative economic model, right? And like, you know, as you do that long tail distribution curve, um, it's like Raniel, you know, talking about Audius, right? Like, let me explain. Instead of Spotify, everybody paying $10 and I get a fraction of that, no, I can hyper-segment my market and some are super into it and some aren't. And some actually want to be generative and like have a piece of it, whether it's, you know, Audius or Royal or something. So like the tech actually we our old valuation models don't work. That's why when you say something like you just said to someone outside of crypto, they think you're completely cracked. But to be blunt about it, they're all medieval farmers that are looking at the guy opening the shop up down the street and saying, that can't be worth anything. He doesn't have any cows in there. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think your generative point that brought up another another concept for me that I've been seeing. And all right, between the Renaissance and, and pre-crypto, we'll call that 2008, 2009, Blockchain, not cryptography. 
you know, governments were the ones that organized and kind of rose up out of that organized. And like when you say controlled printing, they didn't just control like printing presses, they controlled printing of money. And that is the creation of an economy. And what you saw with Ethereum, like I think to some extent Bitcoin did this, but I really think Ethereum was the first to achieve this, to like actually create a new self-governing, like decentralized economy. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some other people are going to tweet at me like other people did this first, but like they're the ones that I think really like, obviously they have the, you know, the largest success there. And, and that is uh, definitely a scary thing to like a centralized government maybe, right? Like you've, you've got like a, a self-organizing, you know, it started with a few people, but now that it's like decentralized and established, it's, it's pretty much self-organizing. And then it's got these sub-communities that are growing around it. And I think that's just fascinating. And so the big change there is it's taken that ability to generate an economy and money and value back into the individual developers' hands, right? Like individual people can do that and they can do that from all over the world and generate a lot of value. It's a fundamental shift, right? It's like totally different way of thinking. That's absolutely right. That's like, what is a political organization? Just forget the word nation if that trips people up. Like, what's what's a political body? Well, it's a group that organizes into roles to accomplish goals in alignment with their value and, you know, does so usually through some technological coordination. And they want to express information so they can follow and participate, deliberate, develop conviction. And they want to express value um, to be able to align incentives and make it worthwhile. And if, if I told you about something like that, you would say it's a country. If I didn't say the word crypto, you would say that is absolutely a country. If I said, let me tell you about these people and here's how they're going about it and here's how they work and here's how they organize, here's their flag, here's their symbol, it means this. It's not just a pretty unicorn or a pretty, you know, uh, triangle. It, it has this meaning behind it. And here's here's how they develop, you know, referendums and vote. And by the way, it has this much at stake, you know, behind it. And they're developing parallel economies. You, you'd either say that's the, a small country in South America, you know, and that's that's literally even how we use these words are defined by world order, right? Where it's defined by like post Bretton Woods. It's like, you know, first world us, second world our enemies, and third world in between. And so, like, that same political structure, you can superimpose crypto on that. And that's likely how that shakes out. So, the immediate question everybody asks is, like, which country comes next? And, like, I don't think that's the right question. In some sense, all of them will. Um, and, like, the, the country itself will become crypto, which is, which is, and you won't be an Englishman or a Frenchman. You'll be, uh, you know, you'll be, uh, you know, Ether, blockchain, it might be Maxi, you might have dual citizenship and be polychain. And I think that's, that's, that's absolutely right. But that generative piece of it being decentralized is like, why does that work? Because you actually have greater autonomy. It's not just, I could always renounce my citizenship and I could always go somewhere else. I could always emigrate or immigrate. Like it was just layered and mediated, but those concepts were there. And I, my work was always at will in some sense here in the States. Sure. Fine. Like that's, that makes sense. But now I'm just seeing it like, moved fully decentralized without that mediation. And so when that happens, things get super generative, at least historically. The the more mediation you remove, the more generative it gets is kind of an axiom. I love the idea that you just brought up about like being able to travel between worlds and citizenship in a sense. Like it, it's a good point to touch on because for me, like, you know, when I participate in a network, I typically hold that token and and I use it in that network and I earn financially I benefit from that in some way 
And the more that I earn and the more I can create, and the more I can create, the more invested I get involved in that ecosystem. I mean, it's happened for me in the, in the Solana ecosystem over the last six months or seven months since I joined that ecosystem with, with Olaplex, right? Which is something that my team built off of the top of Metaplex, which is like a protocol for building decentralized NFT marketplaces. You know, I do have a sense of belonging to that community. And I could easily, like anybody can easily like, exit their asset or, or just like stop participating and hold that asset or whatever, and then do some work in some other space or multiple at the same time. It's, it's totally permissionless. You don't have to ask permission from anyone to participate or belong. You just have to choose to do it, to, to belong, to feel like you're a part of it. And that's, it's very libertarian in a way, right? Like it's like, it's like kind of right. Like uh, you know, it's like, it's like total independence in a way. It's exciting. And I think like, again, if you're not participating in it, it's hard to actually understand, but it kind of snowballs, right? Like once you get involved, it kind of snowballs. Your core identity today, maybe not you personally, but like us today, like historically, it was always nations. I'm a citizen of this nation. And then, you know, as of recently, over the past couple generations, particularly in the West, particularly in the US, that's kind of been subsumed a little bit, or there's a crack in the arm around what I do for work, right? I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a finance person, I'm an artist, blah, blah, blah. And there's also another crack where it's like, what's my socioeconomic class, right? Am I 1%? Am I not? What am I doing? Blah, blah, blah. And so these are cracks, right? And so crypto... When crypto comes for you, like AI replaces your job, like crypto, crypto expands your identity. You're, you're not just a, you're not just a finance guy. You're a DeFi guy, right? You're not just an artist. You, she's a generative artist, right? And so like now all of a sudden that, that becomes the primary thing that supersedes and acts as a superset on that, that identity function. And like, well, how does it become real? Cause I use their currency. Currency isn't just political control and power in terms of like projecting an image. Like a dollar is like an MFT with an image on it and consensus behind it. It literally is how am I like interacting with this abstract synthetic world with meat space, feeding myself, interacting, buying something, et cetera, et cetera. And so the reason why it's real is because it, it, it is, it's like the image is actually more real than the thing itself. This is kind of what we've been heading to like through technology. If, you know, people are into McLuhan or Baudrillard or any of those guys, like this is like the, the manifestation of that. And like the really crazy thing is like two other points, which you touched on. You, you're so good at saying things so succinctly. You drop in all these gems. There's like three things I want to pull out of there. And like one was, one was about, you know, this political piece and organization. It's like, yeah, this is, I mean, crypto is like, it's like petri dishes for not just, finance protocols, but for political organizations powered by those finance protocols, right? So we can try this, like doing it on like Sims or SimCity or civilizations, we can do it that way. And like, the two crazy things, I think back to your question of where I think it's going, like, so and this, I recognize sounds like sheer and utter madness. So just, this is just what I'm saying, if history rhymes, and if you believe this whole thesis, you know, at the last Renaissance, we unlocked this art. Art was actually technology. In the medieval world, it was flat and 2D and symbolic. Every time like new wealth is created, it expresses itself in technology that's endemic or baked into the nature of the tech. And the nature of that tech, they redefine what's meaningful. It wasn't just sacred. It was everything. You know, your vocation wasn't a monastery. It was interacting in the world and even being a shopkeeper. And at first, that sort of art and identity and finance seems really weird to people especially power holders. And then 
they accept it and then they adopt it and co-opt it and then it becomes, you know, high class and high status. And so all that's to say it opened up these worlds. Like if you're a medieval person, medieval farmer, you, when you looked at a painting, you'd never seen that before, right? You're like, that's virtual reality. I'm looking at something that looks real and I'm looking inside it. And they painted themselves in it. There were their little avatars and what have you. Or I read a book. You know, Bible was fact. I'm not reading a lot of fiction, right? All of a sudden it's print and I read a short story, a little novella. I'm like, this blows my mind. I've never read fiction before, right? I I can afford it. I open the thing up or someone's reading out loud. I know tales and myths and morality plays, but this new stuff, and they're talking about different worlds, man. And when I hear that and when I read that, I go into that medium and I experience that. And so if you believe that's what happened last time, this art, expansive, tech-baked-in, financial superstructure and expanding these possible worlds, like... That's kind of what we have happening with, uh, with you know, NFTs not just being pixelated pictures of cats, but as being digital rights for real world assets and experiences and digital world assets and experiences. And so I think that will literally allow us to not only expand citizenship into crypto and across crypto communities, you know, having multiple citizenships, but actually acting the thing that this renaissance has that the last renaissance didn't have was on-chain rights right like when the nation state cracked down last time i could get a manuscript you couldn't get a manuscript these on-chain rights like literally allow me to go to these virtual worlds and so i might go into and spend currency with bitcoin or ether or solana but i also might like go into a different world and i might work in a metaverse and spend the fruits of it in the physical world or i might work in the physical world and spend the fruits of it in the mental world in the metaverse which is like a very different way to think about uh, how you organize communities and political ramifications. Let me just stop there because you like you said so many things. It, yeah, and I like I'm starting to live this like every day. You know, like I'm already seeing it happen. Even though I'm not, it's not like some VR thing. But like, no, no, you, no, no, like, no, no, no. Oh, you're you're oh. kind of like in a different space that that um, where you're able to to thrive. Um, and have and have real rights over like the technologies and the platforms that are being made because you you have voting rights when you start like accumulating some of these assets they actually give you some control over the ecosystem that you're participating in or some ownership yeah government tokens are like the petri dish for economic you know simulations but and you're right like the metaverse doesn't come with goggle like maybe it does but it's like that identity thing i'm talking about everybody's eyes glaze when i say that but it's like where do you see yourself? Where do you experience? Where do you exercise agency or sovereignty, right? Where do you yield? Where do you spend? Where do you communicate? Where do you share? And like when you go into that world, you're going into that 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 virtual world or that metaverse. And you could argue, hey, we've had that in crypto or we've had that in the internet for a while. And I, I'd say, no, we haven't. We just think we have. We had this weird false start for 50 years. Like future historians will look back and say, no, no, no. That was like a half-baked thing. Like finance came first and then it fundamentally decentralized Web3, like communication protocol, like not just the protocol, but on the stack, right? So the processing you know, maybe you're running like a, maybe you're running like all the way down from graph to be able to view it, uh, you know, Arweave, or maybe you're processing it outside AWS on a cache, or maybe you're broadcasting it, you know, not through Spectrum or, you know, Verizon, but through Helium. Like we're just now having crypto penetrate the real world. And that's like what I think is super interesting where, where it actually transforms like communities in the real world. Uh, crypto is an economic battery for like blue collars, like something nobody's talking about. Yeah. And in the creator space, we're seeing it, right? Like Olaplex was built to make it so that you could just like push a couple buttons and have your own little NFT store. And I literally have been talking to multiple artists who have never created their, they just created a Twitter account. They're not technically savvy. They're not like people who've been in crypto for a long time. And they're saying to me, I am making a living now creating digital art. 
Oh, and that's, mm. and that's a that's a huge shift. And now they are in the community. That, that's like they're red pilled, right? Like they're in this new uh, system. And so it is like you know, I think like 2017, people were like, yeah, we're going to onboard all these like people from the the real world, you know. And 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 now it's actually happening. I feel like it is actually happening, and it's happening pretty fast. Like the growth rates pretty fast. No, I, I think that's like everything you're saying is like this. <laughs> you know, I, I want to be careful not to read things in or do historical eisegesis, but everything you're saying is like how this played out last time. It starts with finance. That's the purest expression and like the most value loaded into the tech. And then you start working out, right? And then you work into art. Like when we say, hey, this technology last time created a new class, like a mercantile class or capitalistic class. Like, what do we mean? Like, literally, it means the person who couldn't subsist on their own interests could do so like using this technology to support themselves it's like crazy right and like in that sense it makes us all just like last time we all become entrepreneurs right like the artist the person like interacting with the art the person the holding the future on it and so like we all become like renaissance people now we're looking at finance for understanding basics and art and communication and like what crypto does really really well is like fundamentally align value and so like we never had the economic superstructure until like the last renaissance like to be able to support art and not just art like just esoteric things that we know are important but we just don't economically incentivize in the same way as someone trading on wall street right so now all of a sudden this this long tail of esoteric knowledge becomes becomes valuable i might be really good at price discovery on nfts on like this subset and i can make a living during that even if i'm not artistically inclined and so you start with finance and then you go into art and then like this real world piece i think is the next big wave that nobody talks about it's like literally you know running things in the real world removing cost centers and then adding generative functions to small scale bodegas restaurants real world businesses um that's that's what we played around with 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 this building more as a thought experiment than anything else. This, the place behind me is an old bourbon bar that's named after a triple crown horse. And it was literally, you know, a dumpster fire, right? It burned down repeatedly, drug use, what have you. It was slated to be parking lots. Um, and so we, we ran a little, you know, helium node, right? Um, you know, just for kicks, basically. And that, that the proceeds of that paid for the building and for the regeneration of it, right? And so, like, now all of a sudden you can open up to artists, you can open up to community. And we're doing that with other people, other, you know, restaurants and bodega folks so they can literally go through a blue collar checklist and say hey i am a public establishment so i'm supposed to pay 15k to bmi every year to, for music rights maybe i shouldn't do that maybe i should actually use audios okay I just remove my cost center oh wait i have three restaurants and if i'm actually listening to my own stuff and create my own playlist maybe i'm generating okay i can run an sdk for lightning okay i can you can literally go through that whole piece so is crypto like realigns we're seeing it first with art and that'll be explosive but then it'll make its way into like blue collars and economic battery which is like changes the nature of regulation and changes the whole narrative around it like that's not super sexy or glamorous to talk about but that's when you get adoption when like all of a sudden my bodega i totally agree so like another this is still in the digital realm but i think it can apply to the physical realm like businesses as well as like i think nfts um are probably like the the beachhead to bringing all e-commerce revenue on chain. And, and, and when you do that and you have like a totally decentralized website all the way down to the domain name, you can like control that website with the ownership of an NFT. You can then permissionlessly sell that NFT on, on an exchange if you want to and sell your whole web property. You could leverage the revenue from your business on like a decentralized, you know, lending platform. Or if you do subscription revenue, you can do like decentralizedpipe.com. You can sell your subscription revenue and generate like, you know, 95 cents on the dollar for 12 months worth of 
customer subscriptions and fund your business. And I think there are all sorts of things like that, that a restaurant could take advantage of or a gym or a co-working space. Like if you start getting the payment processing to, to actually convert, you know, to USDC on, on Solana, you know, on chain, then you can do things like yield farm with stable coins. That's where you start generating, you just print money by just parking it somewhere and contributing to like on, on a, on a DEX or something like that. Right. And like, can I pause on what you just said? Because I don't yeah. think people understand like the impact of what you're saying. Like to like somebody who's DeFi savvy, you're like, yeah, yeah, I got it. It's like, no, no. If you're doing a restaurant, like you're in, you're in like Kentucky, right? And like you're operating at one percent, like profit, like it may one percent, you know, even it, it, that's transformative, right? Like that, that's like stunning in terms of your your cash your cash flow. You can hire cooks during a pandemic. You can keep paying your lease. You can keep you can keep their insurance. Go- you, it's just like that single digit margin, like on the banking, I don't think people understand like notion of like marginal growth, but like for small scale, that's like, that's unbelievable for folks, right? So it's like, no, and it's, we'll see that as these NFTs expand, right? So it'll be, you know, the first NFTs were like real estate, right? Oh, that's interesting. What does that mean? Okay. Like, what if I can use it for IP? I was lecturing at a a fancy Ivy League college with a, with a PhD, MD, double material science, blah, blah. And, you know, there's a big pharma company that has, you know, a lab in there, right? And she, she basically says, Hey, uh, you know, her students were asking about social tokens, but she was saying, Hey, I, I saw that this DAO bought an, a bunch of IP around an NFT. Like, is that independent? And so, like, all of a sudden, when you start thinking about NFTs that way, it gets uh, it gets ridiculous. And, like, not to sound completely cracked, but I guess I'm already over that bridge. Like, so these small <laughs> businesses, like, adding on this blue-collar crypto playbook, like, yeah, it's fundamentally transformative. Not in a way like, oh, I earned 5% more. No, it, it literally keeps them in business, right? Like, you know, if you look at the curve and the turnover there might even be like these bi-directional like doorways, you know, to the metaverse where you have rights and NFTs and like you're, you're, they allow you access and experiences and goods in the real world or in the metaverse. And so like, that's like a very interesting way to think about, you know, small businesses along this long tail. If you're not in like a power hierarchy, uh, you know, concentrated area, like that's interesting. So co-working, right? Like, oh, co-working, I have a, I have a space in a universe, say cryptovoxels or like, we're super like <laughs> full disclosure. We've either invested or we love or we hate or we, you know, we really like or don't like or we're totally conflicted. That's like, yeah, the, the stuff that's coming on, maybe it's like loot, right? And I'm just doing it like I'm a dungeon D&D guy and I can just say, oh, I can imagine what this is. Or maybe I'm not like that. Maybe I need to do like Wilder and say like, oh, I'm going to do this world, but I'm going to have the zero IO protocol across these worlds. Like if I have a physical space here and I have a physical space there, like now all of a sudden my business model, just like what OpenSea did to eBay, I can do as a small shop owner based on that, which is like, yeah, I can definitely remove cost centers and get my one or 2%, 5%, 10%, which is crazy for me. But so too, can I change my denominator, which is like radical, right? Yeah. My wife uh, is in conservation and we were looking at a documentary that she knows some of the people involved in it about kelp farming. And these guys have created this like really innovative way to do kelp farming where they like have like, it's like a 3D footprint instead of just like a, a flat acre of farming, you know, where, I mean, obviously it's in the ocean, but what they're not, they're not just like anchoring kelp to the ground and, and kelp. They're also growing, you know, different kinds of shellfish and oysters and things like that. And they're doing it at every like layer in, in the, in the water. And, and I think like the idea that you just talked about is very similar to that for like a business is like, you've got 
these layers and you access them differently. You've got the physical world that you live in, but then you have like the the metaverse or the internet world or whatever, but that that where you can earn, where you can make a living by providing some services that are related to your core business. Um, they're just in a different place and uh, doing some different things, right? Like using different assets that you have to offer. And so it's like, I'm very excited to see where this goes for that group of people. And I think that artists and creators, they're the first, exactly. they're the first wave, right? And, exactly. and, and, and it's going to explode after that. I don't know what it exactly will look like, but it's definitely these guys are the first wave. No, that's that's part of the fun. Everybody talks about is crypto going to live up to its promise or is it going to be new rails for, you know, you know, Fang or what have you. And it's like it will win and they'll they'll be the thing nobody's talking about is this penetration, you know, we're into into the real world and we're seeing that through artists. But like, yeah, people already do this, right? Every small business. So you have you have some social media, but you either pay for that in a SaaS subscription or it's a cost center and maybe you make it up as you have more sales. Like what if it's generative? What if you're not the product in Web2 if you are your co-participant in it? And that for a real world business, you may make more off that Web3 social media interaction than you would off your core business in terms of just like straight nailing denominator and so like that's where it gets like super interesting and like being able to like pay for the things we know are valuable and resolve these conflicting perverse incentives when you know we always did previous companies in old wood to old world and in like highly regulated industries right insurance or healthcare or whatever blah blah, blah. and we always said you had to trick people into doing the right thing uh, make it easier for them to do the right thing by changing the default and it's like with carbon it's like we're playing with ideas around that where i mean you can have kind of generative nft where you basically they unlock in different pieces and like the point of the story is you can use the proceeds to pay farmers and we're here in kentucky and like our working with some of these folks and starting up to plant trees right so you can literally not just do carbon offset you can literally say hey you have unused you have land you're just using like a styrofoam sponge and just like decimating with monsanto and others like what if we pay you to plant trees well how would you do that you do that crowdfunding fine it's like if i actually do that with like some very interesting nft work that's collateralized and yields on the backside. you got to talk to um regen network they're talking about this stuff no, exactly. It's like yeah. obvious. I mean, it's like it's not the thing about the real world stuff is the margin is so low. The bar is so I mean, it's high yeah. conflict, but it's like you don't need to generate a ton like to, to make it worthwhile for a farmer versus anyway, that's the the general idea. So no, I a thousand percent degree. This is the big thing that nobody's talking about. What happens when when this third wave, not the traders, not the artists where people are buying it for status and identity, but when the when people interact with crypto and see the asymmetric benefits for what happens in the real world. That's the, that's the massive use case that explodes everything. I have a theory that the, the thing that causes this to really click is the coordination of communities and around like your restaurant or your co-working space. The digital assets they're buying are part of that coordination. They represent something in that in that that economy that that mini nation that mini community that has its itself governing, and I think that's there will be few blueprints of how to execute that that people adopt and scale, and there'll be some. This is why like uh, DAOs, like it is an example, like the that idea you know, ability to spin one up as an example with some associated NFTs and like a template, you know, is like something that could be the initial like beachhead to these kinds of coordinations that allow these um, these use cases to work. 
Oh, that's so well said. Yeah, it's like the power of the NFT, whether you're building and being able to spin it up on scale cheap and easy, whether you're using Toolkit or you know, something like Olaplex or if it's built on Salon, like making that easy. Maybe there's multi and layer two someday, but it's like right now is like there are these moments in history where things unfold and you have to have access and you have to be participating. And like every dollar now is worth 10 or 100 later and every minute now is worth 10 or 100 later. And by saying like NFT to be able, it's not the thing itself, the image, it's what it, it what it's what it signifies, right? Like it's a, it's the coordination around that. So to be able to say communities, tokens, whether it's governance, in some ways, it's just a. We've seen this work previously. We just for, we've just forgotten, you know. In the depression, neighborhoods had had currency, right? They had wooden nickels and dollars that you would use to support local businesses, not as a not as trinketry, but in a real meaningful way. And the neighborhood associations and granges, you know, these these agricultural centers where people organized and shared and and uh, essentially essentially like generated yield, uh, were were tied together by these microcurrencies once upon a time, and so we're. As we move back to that decentralization, where we're sort of dusting off this playbook of things that had worked in very similar and very similar circumstances, so it can be it can be depressing to see like you know regulation saber rattling and different agencies vying for control and them testing it through their mechanisms, which is always legal. But that's actually like something that should make you fundamentally bullish and fundamentally bullish, not because you think your coin's going to pump, but because you think we as communities can organize using this tech to accomplish like our shared goals, which, which don't have to be hegemonic, which can be, which can be different, like along this long tail, kelp farming, tree planting, you know, whatever, whatever we think is worthwhile. And we actually have the funds now to support different types of creation and support different types of social experiments, like not as a handout, but generative, which is like, honestly, it's freaking mind blowing, right? Like never in history, most times in history, people don't realize that they're going through a change. And like, we actually get to like, watch this and we get to understand it. And we also, we get to participate in it and maybe help shape and craft the outcome. And like, that's why it's like damning that historians aren't out there saying, hey, guys, like, let's think through unintended consequences. And we hear about opportunity, but let's talk about responsibility and all these themes that you and I are talking about. So like, I just want to personally say like, kudos to you for like, having the conversation as part of this. I think it's like, incredibly important right now at this moment. No, I, I appreciate that. And I, I couldn't agree more. That's why I do the podcast because I just, I want people to be able to hear about this stuff and to try to understand it and maybe get involved if they're so inclined. So we only have a couple of minutes left and I kind of always ask this at the end of the conversation, but like, what have I not asked you that I should have asked already or that you wanted to discuss like in two minutes? Let's see, what did we do? We did a thousand years of history. We did like political science, like aggregating and disaggregating. We did explosion of art is more than just like art, endemic to the nature of the tech. We did internet is not being the real communication protocol, it actually being Web3. We did the tech stack on the Web3. We basically talked about decentralization as an economic business model. And then we went into adoption from econ into art and culture and identity and then into real world interaction, allowing us to do these things we know we should do that we can never really coordinate around. I think that's I think that's yeah. a lot of stuff. That's We're pretty there. good. We're there. All right. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was awesome. This was a hoot. Thanks so much, Alex. I really appreciate it. You just heard the Index Podcast with your host, Alex Kahaya. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a five-star rating and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or your favorite streaming platform. New episodes available every other Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in.